Welcome to Stepdad Success, turning the tide on the way stepdads are seen and show up in the world. We're a new breed of leaders raising leaders. Blood or no blood, we raise them as our own. We're connected, loving, and committed to leading them into the future. If you asked a normal dad, he'd say we're doing the impossible. He'd say, but they're not yours. How do you do it? Yet every day, stepdads around the world are forging the way. That's what we call stepdad success. We're leaders raising leaders. And these are our stories. Today, this is James Klobasa from Step, Stepdad Success. And today, we've got another interview. Today's interview is with Luke Perison. I hope I'm saying that right, Luke. Luke is a firefighter and paramedic and got a bit of a passion and a love for music, film, and the entertainment world. He's got an interesting story to tell and obviously a stepdad as well. So we're going to dive into everything um, in today's call, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Luke, welcome, mate. Thanks for joining us um, on the podcast, and great to have you here. Thank you, James, for having me. It's uh, it's an honor. I'm humbled that you would ask me to uh, to contribute. Oh, mate, um, I think you know all the different interviews and stuff I've been doing. You know, everyone's been enjoying them, and it, it's just great to, as a kind of, you know, what I want to do is open up the conversation. You know, everyone comes from a, a different background; they have a different lifestyle and a different life, different challenges, and it's just good to open the conversation up. But in saying that, I'll I'll kick it off by just asking, you know, Luke, can you tell us a little bit about your background? I know you're a paramedic and um, firefighter and You've been doing that a little while now, but if you could just fill in the blanks for us, you know, just how many kids you have, but, you know, just give us that, that quick background brief. Sure, sure. Um, I was born and raised in Chicago, uh, one of six children, um, to my mother and father, who are still married to this day, uh, going on 58 years, uh, which, is, which is outstanding. Um, I got in the fire service after getting my Bachelor of Science in Economics from Illinois State University, but I just, when I was uh, 23 years old, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't go work on the Board of Trade, uh, you know, in a shirt and tie. I wanted more action, and so um, I have uh, my Uncle Joe, my cousin Joey, my brother Nick were all in the fire department, and I wasn't aware that you can make a, a good living in the fire department here in, in the United States, so I, I got involved in the fire department. I got my first full-time job 25 years old, and I've been doing that. I did that for 10 years in Chicago. And then uh, I'm someone that enjoys life experience. Of course, I'm motivated, you know, to some degree by money, but only as a means to make sure that it's that that, that not having money sometimes pre- precludes you from doing things to bring about great experiences. Um, so I sold my house and I and I and I and I and I sold my business and I tested out in California. For the last ten years, I've been a firefighter paramedic for the Orange County Fire Authority um, in Southern California. Um, well, through the course of that, part of my motivation for coming to California is my passion for the arts. Um, as a writer, as a, a singer, as a musician, as an actor. Um, and so over the course of the last 10 years, I've worked uh, in the entertainment industry and also a little bit on the political side of things, just as an actor that got, uh, uh, that needed to provide support for some political commercials. Um, and I've been I've done commercials, uh, movies, television shows, game shows, reality shows, talk shows, just about everything in between. It's been quite an adventure. Um, 
But I want to move forward with that. So at 45 years old, I'm now looking at a 50 year old, 50 years old when I when I can get my pension. I want to transition from the public sector into the private sector, and I'd like to do so in the entertainment industry. Now, I would prefer to just be an artist and just be a musician and an actor and be able to provide for myself that way. But with a wife and two children, um, I better make sure that I've got a foundation to build upon. So I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing my MBA right now through my fire department, through a partnership they have with an online university, so that I can be a studio executive or work in some fashion uh, with a, a salary position or a job in the entertainment industry. And then I will always do my film and my music on the side uh, to fulfill my artistic and creative needs. Uh, that way I'm, I'm, I'm still supporting the arts and I'm still uh, involved with the industry that I'd like to be on, be in. But I, that way I lock in my, my wife and my kids are, are provided for. And then if I do land a movie role and then I do get, get a $3 million check cut to me for a, a role, boom, I, maybe I leave the, Executive world, and I have to be an artist full time. Right? <laughs> at the very least, I got to make sure that those those bricks are laid, that foundation is laid. Yeah, something that I enjoy doing. Um, the, the fire department is great, and I don't want to anyone to think that I'm leaving the fire department for any sort of a bad reason whatsoever. It's been outstanding. Twenty five years full time in the field, as I was talking to you just before we came on, James. For as, for as beautiful as the world is and for as resilient as the human body is and what humans are, the world is, is a very harsh place as well. And, sure. um, well, and for, we all going to live. Well, that means we're all going to die. And um, sure. in 20 years sure. of being a paramedic, I've seen my share of human trauma. And I'm, I think that I'm feeling that human trauma more as it affects me emotionally now as I get a little older. I used to think it was, I used to think it was badass when I was 30 years old and I'm on the south side of Chicago and these <laughs> yeah, guys got yeah. bullet holes in them. We used to have a competition. Who would who would have a patient that was still alive with the most bullet, bullet holes in them? Right. <laughs> you know, I, I guess <laughs> it's more it's more Chicago, of it, but, Yeah, in Chicago, that's probably uh, a daily thing, I'd imagine. Yeah, it's a very violent place. It's more violent now than it was when I was there, but there were still a lot of shootings. And so, you know, when you deal with, with, uh, with, with mortality, when you deal with the ending of human lives, and these people are, you know, I've, I've stared them dead in the eye, James, while, while they're passing away in the back of the ambulance, and I got a physician on the line, and I'm speaking to him, and he's giving me, uh, you know, orders for medical procedures, and I'm, I'm trying to save this guy, and um, oftentimes, oftentimes I'd have to look people dead, dead in the face, James, and mm. know that they're going to die, and I'm merely trying to keep them alive so that the doctors can harvest their organs for for transplant the people that need them. Yeah, and of well, course, I'm not going to tell the I'm not going to tell the patient that, but we're going to go full resuscitative efforts just yeah. in an attempt to keep their heart, their lungs, their liver perfused with oxygenation and, and, and fresh blood so that so they can they can hopefully uh their passing won't won't be in vain. Yeah, so I was going to say uh, look look you've um certainly seen a lot of life and I take my hat off to you for you know 25 years of service in the fire brigade simply because of the well really the amount of lives you must have saved over that time it's pretty incredible um and like i look at that and i think wow like that's and just hearing your like as we we're talking a little bit before the interview started just about your plans for 
you know, after 50 and moving on, you're kind of setting up a 25-year plan. Um, it's interesting, and then we'll chat about that a little. I'm looking at it from the perspective of it's an amazing gift to pass on to your kids as well. I mean, you're living life to the fullest. You've got a plan mapped out to kind of take you well into your 70s, you know, with something, with a passion that you love. A lot of kids today are growing up kind of just plodding through life and you still seem to have this amazing passion for life. I think it's a great thing to pass on. Um, tell me, have you always had that kind of passion for life and that live, you know, that kind of big long-term plan for yourself? Well, I've, I've always been one that I, I consistently hunger for more. And I don't know where it got into me. I have some brothers that are very motivated as well. My, my oldest brother, Ray, always with the latest uh, challenge. He's going to ride his bicycle from Chicago to Texas. Then he's going to do an Ironman triathlon. Then he's going to go for president of his company. Then he's going to go work for Caterpillar on a global crisis team. Then he's going to – he's always pushing. And uh, in seeing that, you know, I just – he never settled, even though he was successful and he can just – you can just settle. You can just stop. You can just retire once you have enough money. And But there's these people in this world. Why wouldn't uh, Warren Buffett retire at this point in time? He's 82, 83 years old. He's the CEO, chairperson, founder of Berkshire Hathaway. He's worth $50 billion plus dollars, something of that nature. But he doesn't retire. So what is it about people like that? Was it about people like Clint Eastwood still directing movies at 83 or Bob Hope, who was still entertaining in the 90s, or Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone. They're in the political or, or entertainment fields. And I just, I look at those guys. Well, now, I didn't look at those guys back when I was 20. <laughs> guys that are cool. in their 70s. But now I'm 45. I need to identify with people that are in their 60s and 70s. And I can't look and like, well, that's retirement time. And that's, I'm over the hill, and it's just time for yep. me. Yeah. You know, in my in my field of work, I deal with a lot of people in that age, and the people, of course, I'm working with are are uh, in poor health because that's why they're calling nine one one. And I see people that are sixty, sixty five years old, and their body even younger than that. I see people and they're in their fifties. They're in nursing homes already. Yeah. What is wow. the core, what, are, what are the path of choices that you've made in in your in your mindset and your life and your passions that result in being in a nursing home at fifty five years old? Grossly overweight, diabetic, hypertensive, uh, uh, you know, with the coronary artery disease and things of that nature. And um, I think actually not only my, my oldest brother, but my mother and father. So my father is 92 years old. He'll be 92 actually this month, actually. Wow. And my mother is, is, is 79 years old. And they are in perfect health. They just, they just visited me not long ago. And... Uh, and there's, here's a guy, 91 years old, still flying across the country, um, living life. Yep. Being able to see my, my youngest son, who's five years old, um, being able to see my, my father pass away at 80 years old or 82. And since my son's only five, he would have had to live to 86 just to see my son. Yeah. Um, wow. And so that's been a very positive on me, a positive effect. But if my mother and my father, are still pushing hard, and they're in their 80s. My mom, James, my mom tells my dad, 
He, she says, well, quit being an old man, she tells him. <laughs> I, go, I, I go, Mom, he's 91 years old. Take it easy on the guy. Oh, you're you're acting like you're an old man. You're creaking and stuff like that. Just come on. We got to go now. But, of course, she loves him. And it's, it's of course, that, that pistol-like attitude that she carries that is the motivating force behind him getting up, behind him yeah. moving. Yeah. Because he probably would sit more than walk if he – was given, but my, my mom's a pistol, and I, I, perhaps that <laughs> that that gets passed on to me a little bit. So yeah, um, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and to pay it, I was going to say, um, like my parents are, you know, getting into their eighties as well, um, and you know, I I'm a little bit the same as them. So I guess that's passed down on, you know. It, I think it's really something to instill into kids as well as to have that long term view and not be you know, sitting around the house, you know, watching TV for the half of your life, which most a lot of people do. Um, you know, it, I was just going to shift a little bit and, you know, how do your kids see you? I mean, you're still very active and you're, you know, with your fire department and they, like, are they looking at you kind of think seeing you as an active person? I know for myself, like, I, I train in front of the boys and, I do a lot of things, you know, with the boys, and I think they still see me as an active person. I hope I'm instilling that kind of um, long-term view into them. How about you? How and just while we're there, how old are your kids? Um, so uh, my wife Jacqueline is 37. I'm 45. My wife Jacqueline is 37. And my stepson Grafton is 14 years old, and my youngest son Luca is five. And right. my five-year-old, he's my, he's my biological son. Yeah. Um, I met my wife about seven years ago. So Grafton was six, turning seven at the time that I met him. So he's yeah. been in my life for over over half of my life. Um, yeah. Before I get to the, the details of our relationships, just in terms of I have extensive leadership training through the fire department. Um, and I've been taking classes. I have a book of certifications an inch thick of all the classes that I've taken. Sure. But one one leadership principle that you just can never go wrong with is to lead by example. Sure. I tell my, yeah. I tell my children, I'm not going to ask you to do anything I won't do. And that's the simplest way to say when I tell them to put down their phones, guess what? Dad's shutting his phone off too. Yeah. Everyone put your, put your devices away. We're going to spend time together. If I tell you to skate hard um, on the hockey rink or I tell you to train hard when they're making you do push-ups, Go to the gym. You can come to the gym and you can watch me power out 60 minutes of weight training. And I'm an older guy. And then run, go down to the track and run sub-seven-minute miles. Um, yep. I wish I could say sub-six minutes, but I don't think that's going to happen anymore, James. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I'll take sub-seven, baby. That's good enough. There's a lot of people that can't run sevens, mate. So that's good enough. That's plenty good enough. Right. Um, so, yeah, right. Uh, and then when it comes to school, I'm, I'm really excited to start – school again. I'm just, my mind hungers for, for knowledge. And especially with the children in school, if I'm working, being in school is different than working because everyone has to have a job, you know, but not everyone has to go to school. So I'm glad that they see me studying. I'm writing papers. And uh, on Thursday nights, I go drive to the local campus. It's mostly online, but they have a local campus. And uh, I, li- I like to attend class. I like sitting in class with professors. I just love the learning environment. So, from a from a from a perspective of leadership, when it comes to education and professionalism, they're going to get great guidance from me. The tricky part, James, which is I think is the 
the, the, the heart of the matter, which is why I was interested in, in speaking with somebody like yourself who, who has considerable experience talking to people like myself. It's the emotional uh, mm-hmm. guidance that I provide them. It's my commitment to my wife, and it's my commitment to them. Obviously, I have the capabilities, intelligence, and drive to succeed in a professional and educational way, but I am sorely lacking in my ability to let down um, uh, the, my walls, to just expose um, my uh, my inner thoughts and feelings, you know, in order yeah. to uh, build these bridges, you know, with my wife and my children. And it's 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 not easy for me. I struggle with it. Yeah, and I think you're not you're certainly not alone there, mate. There's yeah, even just with your background, um, yeah, you have to actually shut out a lot of what you see, and not kind of like you can't afford to break down in the in the back of the ambulance when the guy's you know got bullet holes in him and he's kind of pleading for his life, and you, you're there to kind of that's not the place where you can break down. So you're trained to a point to to be firm, almost like the military. Uh, where guys are trained to be tough and not to show emotion. And, you know, after 25 years of um, service there in the fire department, I'd, I'd assume there's a lot of that built within you. And I've heard a lot of the, like a lot of guys that I've interviewed as well, they they do struggle. I think guys in general struggle with showing their emotion. Um, I know myself, like I struggle with it. And I grew up in a fairly rough household where, you know, showing emotion what was frowned upon and you probably got a beating for it, you know. So I think as guys, we, you know, a lot of us would like to show more emotion, but we we just haven't learned that skill. And it, it, I, I believe it is a learned skill um, for most for most men. It's a, it's certainly a tricky one. I, I, com- I completely agree. And it, it, it sounds like it would just be simple. Well... You just yeah. emote. You just say these things. Obviously, there's there's no risk um, to my wife and my children of me exposing myself to being vulnerable. I'm I'm not going to get. I'm not going to be judged by them in any way. They're going to be supportive of me and probably appreciative of of what we're speaking of if I were to take that. So, what is it that stops me then? What is it that stops me? Why, why don't I do this then? Even though I know that it probably would be beneficial. Uh, you can close that door, Luca. My kids are coming through the garage right now. They're trying, they're tiptoeing through trying to get their bike down. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so, um, okay, yeah, it's, get your bike out too. Go ahead. So, yeah, you know, and that's, and I, I, I don't give my wife the affection that she deserves. I don't give my children the attention and the love that they deserve. I, and I, it's a, it's a good question why. It's, a, it's, it's, it's why I do, uh, training and I speak with people. Um, and maybe I, some of it is innate. Some people are naturally, um, um, some people are naturally, why don't you just, you can just open the garage door, Luca, and take your bike out. Okay, you want to go through that one? Okay, sorry about that, James. That's um, some people are naturally more sensitive and, and, and okay with it. Um, maybe it is some of my training. Maybe it is. The fact that I've been trained to not show emotion, um, when you talk about uh, my reaction to people that lose their lives, one of the elements of my job is 
you know, these people are in mourning and then the family shows up in the emergency room and we see them coming in. I go, oh my gosh, these people's lives are blown, right? Well, yeah. I'm looking at my mobile data terminal in my, in my rig and there's more calls going out. I don't have yeah. time to yeah. sit and think and ponder this. I've got another call. They're calling, medic, you know, medic 57, medic one, medic whatever, you know, are you available for another run? And we throw our bags back in there and we put it back together. And uh, then we take off, we run another call. And, and an hour later, it doesn't even occur to me that I, you know, watched somebody's grandfather pass right in front of the family, you know. So we, we I don't have time. And one thing they do teach us in the fire department, and it has helped me, I carry it with me to this day, is that God just kills, kills people. And I know whatever your religion or creed is, unless you're atheist, God just kills people, you know, and, and people have only so much time on the planet. Yep. There's nothing that I did, unless I make some sort of a egregious medication error and violation of protocol that kills them. I'm only there to help. <laughs> yeah. And there's yeah. a lot more people on this earth today with me being a medic for 20 years full time. I've saved a considerable amount of lives. So for the, for the hundreds that I've seen pass away, there's the thousands that I've helped and Probably a couple hundred that I directly had um, a hand in the extend the, the the extending of of their lifespan, you know that I successfully resuscitated them or I did what needed to be done at least at least be able to identify let's say the uh, the effects of a stroke. There's yeah. not much that I can do in the field, but what I can do is I can identify that stroke, and boom, we're moving fast. We're moving code three. Get me a position on the line. I can describe to him that we're 18, 22, 26 minutes into the time of onset, and they need to get those clot-busting drugs in that guy's system within 60 minutes. Mm -hmm. And even if I don't necessarily save their lives, I certainly will improve the quality of their life because if their stroke is misdiagnosed in the field and someone drags their feet, takes them to oh, the wrong hospital that doesn't have the correct uh, uh, neurological uh, functioning and, and surgical uh, uh interventions, those capabilities, well, that person could have deficits for the rest of their life. I mean, so, so, but, but like I said, I'm just trained to look at these people. I don't see race. I don't see creed. I don't see color. I see clinical statistics that come out when I perform a patient assessment. You know, yeah. I just see blood pressures. I see skin conditions. I see cardiac rhythms. I see blood glucose readings. I see, you know, and I just work from a clinical standpoint. So, you know, you don't have an emotional connection to these people, but mm. I do have that with my children, with my wife and my kids. So I, I don't know, maybe I, I would say definitively after 20 years in the fire service, it probably affects me in some fashion because I, I do have a side of me that can just be cold at times. Yeah. Yeah. And that's understandable. It's not a, I don't think it's a, a bad thing. I think, um, you, like you need to have it for your position. Um, it's interesting because you know, uh, we've chatted a little bit about you, know, you struggling with actually being a stepdad and and that situation. Tell me just a little bit more about that and how you see that yeah. yourself. Because I mean, everyone has their own different struggles in in the actual you know, being a step parent. Some people just love it. You know, some people don't. Some people, you know, there's lots of things that we need to deal with. And these are the, all the dynamics that we, you know, I'm kind of discussing on these interviews just the different ones so what are they for you what what's the real struggle that you see there well the biggest struggle was having to give up 
what was in my mind the plan that I had. Now, it sounds like I have a perfectly formulated plan. I have explained to you my transition from the private to the public sector, public to private sector, et cetera, et cetera. But that plan's only come about in the last year or so. Yeah. I'm an aggressive person. I'm a proactive person. And I found myself being reactionary to what was happening to me. Right. All of a sudden, I have these children. All of a sudden, I have a wife. All of a sudden, I have in-laws. All of a sudden, I have a, a, a son that, uh, as bad as it sounds, James, the, the, the reality of it is you just don't have that immediate, unconditional love that's just going to, you know, first, you, especially when you're when you're meeting a, a young man like I'm at Grafton at six years old, I'm not his dad yet. So first off, I just got to be the kid's friend. I yeah. have to make sure that he just enjoys being around me. Well, what happens when it starts to change and all of a sudden after a year or two, I'm no longer your friend, little buddy. I'm your dad. <laughs> sure. You got to go to, you, you know, you got to do your homework. You got to go to bed. You got to eat your vegetables, you know. I'm going to discipline you when you misbehave. I'm going to reward you when you succeed and when you do something good. And and all of a sudden, I'm not your friend anymore. So in the beginning, the first, you know, six months or year that you're that you're starting to build this relationship, well, it's just all ice cream and, hey, what's up, man, you know, and you're just playing with them and playing video games because you're not their dad, you know. I'm still just trying to build a relationship with the, with the young man's father, with the young man's mother, and see if our relationship has legs. Um, yeah. Just those interpersonal dynamics between everybody. Obviously, uh, my son Grafton has a much closer relationship with his mom, my wife, Jacqueline. Yeah. They have a bond that, I, I, that I'll never be able to approach. You know, he, he looks to her a lot, you know. Um, which is completely understandable because, I mean, from, from, from birth till he was six and a half, seven years old, that was all he knew as, as guidance and, and as, as, as discipline and as support, you know. Um, so my biggest struggle has been to let go of the plan that I previously had and have to formulate a new one. My other plan, I was starting to work with my union's executive board at the fire department and I was going to uh, transition over, since I was learning collective bargaining unit um, negotiations and labor management, I was going to move into SAG-AFTRA, which is the actors' union. Um, right. right when I got hired, right when I won my election onto my union's executive board is when my, my girlfriend at the time tells me that she's pregnant. And within all of a sudden, within a year, there's a baby out and we're planning a wedding. <laughs> right. And I, I, I previously I was flying from Washington D.C. and I was flying to Sacramento. I worked with the with the previous three governors here: Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jerry Brown, and Gray Davis. And I drafted. Uh, I was, I was uh, Governor Schwarzenegger's uh, the spokesperson for one of his campaigns, and we, we we traveled all across California and, and made political appearances. And then I transitioned into into working with Gray Davis, and I've been in. I'm in Jerry Brown now, and I've been to D.C., and I've been walking to all the Congress lobbying, uh, uh, um, the, the political representatives there for, uh, for advance our agenda of labor management and lobby them for funds. And all of a sudden, a year later, I, I got I'm holding a baby. Yeah. Yeah. Different. Uh... War rooms. Where I'm well used to walking into war rooms and tangling at, across the conference table. Saying, let's rock. We got. I have, I have an agenda to to advance. I want to make sure, from a business perspective, there's a mutually beneficial relationship that we that we uh, uh, develop here. But that's was where one of my strengths was. And all of a sudden, I go from that to being 
pushing a stroller and having a, a seven-year-old and newborn and trying to co-op, cooperate and collaborate with a wife. It's, and, interest, um, it's, in, it's interesting, Luke. Like, you obviously had to make a massive transition there and, like, I'm assuming there's a lot of guys out there that are probably in similar positions, probably chasing, you know, whether they'd be chasing big roles in business or, you know, sporting careers or whatever they might be, that probably have that same thing happen to them. Tell me, like, what was that, what was it like to you at the time? Like, were you, like, just juggling or were you, like, pissed off or was, what was happening to you at the time when all that was going on? Because this is, yeah, it's not often, you know, talked about as far as how the men are actually feeling when, when we have to readjust our lives. The women get plenty of conversation on that. You know, we um, we don't necessarily see that side of the conversation or we don't get to open up on that side of the conversation. So what was that like for you where, you know, essentially plans were shot and you had to reevaluate? Uh, it was it was very difficult. It was very difficult. I, I go from – and now, now remember, I was a lifelong bachelor. So I'm 40 years sure. old. I'm living by myself. So my house – I set my house up. I buy nice art. <laughs> I make sure that everything's lined out exactly the way I want it. I leave the house. I go to the fire department. I come back. I fly to D.C. I come back. The house is exactly the way I left it. Yeah. Now I got a wife and two children living there. And I set the whole house up. And I leave. And I come back three days later. And the place is destroyed. I go up. And I'm trying to work at my desk in my office. And I used to have a process. The bills are over here. The inbox is here. The checks get written here, et cetera. You know, my wife's been working at the desk for three days, and and hey, honey, I had a whole system here. This is the way the desk works, you know, the office in my you know my office. Um, and I'm, I'm shell shocked. And the, the biggest thing that I could say uh, that I would tell myself is now I'm moving in reactionary fashion to what's happening to me instead of being the proactive force. That that principle, of, I am the one creating. My output. I'm the one creating the productivity. I'm the one driving the train so I know what's going on. Now, this also coincides with the nature of my job. I work 24-hour shifts, 48-hour shifts, 72-hour shifts. If I work 9 to 5 Monday through Friday, I can come home, and if there's any, for lack of a better term, course correction that needs to be taken in the, in the house, I'm home every night at 6 o'clock to make sure that that night and the next morning, Things are course corrected, <laughs> just from my own sense of my anal retentive nature of sure. and my, you know, our own small sense of that we like to be in control of things. So, for my fire, for anybody who's listening to this that that is a firefighter, or maybe even a police officer that works nights or something, then they get to sleep all day. Um, even even shift that's workers. Where, yeah. Right. Right. Sure. Sure. It, you know, they, they nurses work 12-hour shifts sometimes, and, and they, they don't work that normal schedule. Um, so I'm gone from the house for days on end. And my wife developed their own sense of independence because they can't rely on me because I'm not there. So they need to do what they need to do in order to be clothed and warm and sheltered and, and, and fed. And then I come in, and, and maybe that's not the way that I would have done things. But now they've already got... A, 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 a smaller ecosystem in the family without me that, that it's a necessity because I'm gone a lot. Um, and then I'm trying instead of 
instead of driving the train, instead of dictating the pace of what we do and where we go and how we do it, I, I'm much more trying to cooperate, collaborate with what is already going on without me. And it's that, it's that, is that the seeding of the power that I had that really, you probably just by talking, you can tell I'm, a, I'm an ambitious guy. I'm a motivated guy. I like to sure. knock targets down. I like to set goals. I like to challenge myself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden, I walk into home life that's kind of a different world for me. And I'm like, whoa, this is not, this is not, what what the, what the fuck are these toys doing all over the place? What's going on here? What yeah. happened to the desk? What the heck? The garbage isn't taken out. The dog shit in the backyard. Listen, the garbage can't go out on Thursday morning. The dog shit gets picked up. These toys go here. The fiction, blah, blah. And I want to line everything out again. But i got to go back to work the next day. So it's actually still something that I'm struggling with and that I'm, that I'm trying to get through. Now, I've talked to just about everybody at some point. I've talked to therapists. I've talked to family. I've talked to friends. I've talked to coworkers. I even met with one of our fire partners. I talked to my wife about it. And I don't know if there's a definitive answer. And I mm. think that maybe I should stop trying to look for an answer and say, you know what? Life is nebulous and dynamic. And it's always changing. So maybe, you know, that, that plan I talked about earlier about the way that I'll move into the entertainment industry, it's not going through labor management and through collective bargaining, which is what I initially had planned. So why don't I just move forward with the plans that I have and make sure that they succeed, knowing that they may change again in another year or two? It's we interesting. Know. It's interesting because it's kind of like, um, and, you know, to be quite honest, I'm in exactly the same boat as you. Like I um, met my partner when I was 39. You know, we've been together seven years now. But I understand, like my house, I was pretty much a bachelor for you know the 40 years before that, or 39 years before that, and come into my house and it was all laid out. I totally understand. You know, you've got the office, you got the inbox, you know where the bills go, the checks go, like everything's laid out. Like you said, I totally understand it. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that there's a letting go that has to happen. And it's tough. Like, I still deal with it some days. You know, like, I come home and I'm pretty relaxed nowadays, but some days I come home and, you know, there's toys everywhere and I'm like, right. You know, like the, <laughs> you know, the, the tyrant comes out and, the, you know, that anal guy that likes everything in the right spot, that's still inside me. And, um, it definitely is a tough one to let go of. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's probably something that a lot of guys, our you know our age, that um, that they have to deal with. And it, like these things, as I said, these things aren't discussed. Um, and yeah, we come home. You know, we talk to you know a partner about it, and they're upset at us. Or they're like, "Why are you getting so upset?" You know, it's like, well, because for the last forty years I've been doing doing it my way and now all of a sudden I have to let go and give in to everyone around me it's not an easy transition no not at all and so through my analysis self-analysis through my conversations with others you know there's a couple couple facts that you know let's try to start let's at least start nailing down some facts let's start saying laying some bricks down on that wall so we can build the house you know, number one, I, I'm in control of my thoughts and I'm in control of my own behaviors. Um, 
that whatever happens in my in my life in my house, the first thing that I do is I look at my my behavior, the things that I did, the things that I said. Was I yelling? Was I angry? Was I not opening up my heart and my soul to my children? Was I unnecessarily, you know, was I was I treating my children differently? Whatever it is. We need to take responsibility for the decisions that we make and the actions that we do. Um, you know, exactly. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't need. I didn't need to tell. You know, in, in the harshest terms, I could have told. I could have told Jackie. You know what? We're getting an abortion. We're breaking up. This is all done. But I didn't. Yep. Yep. So that you know, I'm not going to do that. This is my chance to have, a, you know, a son or a daughter in this world. You know. So then that's where, that's the decision where it starts. And then from there, you know, they move from there. A um, couple of the other things is obviously, I mean, I look at people, you know, we're ta- I've made mention of Warren Buffett and I've made mention of some of these other people in the world. I look at guys like Elon Musk. I look at guys like Richard Branson. These guys have wives and children. They've had multiple wives and children from different wives. So, yet they still are excelling at a, a massively high level. They are visionaries. They are inspiring people. Um, I mean, I don't know if they're good husbands and fathers. Maybe they're horrible husbands and fathers, and they're just great businessmen. Um, but certainly they have family, and there's no reason that with I have a wife and two children that, that people have considerable greater obstacles to cover and adversity to cover in order to, um, to, to burst in that upper echelon, not necessarily of wealth for me, like I said, Life experience. If that if that wealth leads into life experiences that I can have, great. It's not strictly about the money. Um, so I look at people that that uh, that have families or that have had similar uh, experiences that have overcome and succeeded. And so I say, if that person does it, well, why can't I do it? I'll do it just the same as that. Um, yeah. And then of course it's just our own attitudes. It's the attitude that I take when I come in the door. Every day. Sure. Do I come yeah. in the door as a supportive husband for my wife, as an affectionate husband? Do I come in the door as a, as a supportive uh, uh, personality for, for, for my children? Do I love them equally? Do I, do I give of them both my time and my energy and my love to ensure that they feel loved and, and they feel wanted and, and, and they're going to carry that through their life? So, you know, it starts with me. It starts with my own heart, my own soul, and my own mind. Obviously, from a professional and an educational standpoint, I have no needs. I, I'll be able to smash any target I, I put my mind on. But, you know, your wife and your kids, they're not targets you can smash, you know? That's right, yeah. They're yeah. Gen- they're, they're humans. They're gentle. They, they, they laugh. They bleed. They cry. You know, they have needs. They get hungry. They got to go to the bathroom. They get sick. And and that's where that's where I struggle is 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 turning off that cold-minded business analytical, you know, I, you know I'm just going to take charge and kick ass every day and everyone get out of my way. Yeah. Uh, that, you know what? That don't work, James. That don't work in the house. <laughs> no, it doesn't. You're, you're an asshole. Tell, you're tell an me. asshole to your wife and, and you're an asshole to your kids and you come in like that. I can't come in like that. Even though I'm a big, strong-ass kicking guy, I, I can't do that. So I'm trying to be a – trying to reinvent myself, you know? Yeah. Yeah, tell me just on that. Like, what's the biggest thing you've had to let go of? Mostly just the concept of freedom. Um, you know, if you were 39, now we were probably pretty similar. I was 40 years old, and I and I didn't. I was a very, I'm a kind of a wild guy. 
way that I lift weights, man, the way that I ride motorcycles, the way that I play music, if I get meaty acting roles, I will throw myself into them in uninhibited fashion. And it's a free mind and a free soul that I have. And I'm liable to pick up and, and, and jet to some locale. And I have no, I have no qualms enter, entering into anything. I'll walk into a courtroom and tangle with attorneys. I'll walk into a, into, into a punk rock club and take my shirt off and throw an elbow just for fun, you know, and everything <laughs> in between. And, you know, and people will be like, God, you know, I had quite the reputation. I probably still have quite the reputation, more so in, in Chicago when I was really wild. Yeah. Um, but I can't, I feel like I can't behave like that anymore. My wife would say, what in God's name? You can't show up to the kids' recital with black leather pants on and a Megadeth shirt at a Catholic school. You know what I mean? Which, not that I would do that anyways, but I, I'm just throwing an example out there of, sure. I don't know, I used to shave my head into mohawks, man, or, or you know what I mean? Or, or yeah. you, it's, 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 it's harmless, but it would certainly had a little bit of a shock factor to it. And I feel as though my actions are a little bit more sedate that's why I like to create artistically because I can't. I, I, it's like a volcano. If you freaking try to stop up a volcano, the freaking sides are gonna burst out. You know, you yeah. can't do it. You can't stop it. You can't yep. stop it. It's like a wildfire. Wildfire. You can't stop a wildfire. All you can try to do is kind of direct it away from the homes because <laughs> it's yeah. twenty, thirty, sixty thousand acres. We need airplanes and bulldozers. The men on the ground are risking their lives to go in there. You can't stop that. You can't. You're not going to build a wall and say, "I'm going to stop this wildfire right here." No, I, it's I think kill everybody in its way. I think that's a that's a great lesson right there, Luke. Just to for guys out there listening that are like feel this tension rising, everyone's got to have an outlet. And I think there's probably a lot of guys out there that don't have that outlet, or they don't allow themselves to have that outlet. Like you're obviously. You can spot that. You understand, you know, your own body. You know that you have to put it into your creative side or your motorcycle, you know, like your music, whatever. Uh, I think there's probably a lot of guys out there that feel that pressure and don't give themselves that outlet. Um, you know, was that something you knew from kind of straight away or was that sort of over time you were like, you know what, I, I need to, I still need to let this go because I think a lot of guys hold that back. You you absolutely, if you don't have that outlet, it will manifest itself in negative ways in your life, and it will you'll start drinking more because because you've got that energy. So let's say it's an energy that you're trying to release. You can release it in positive fashion, but if you don't, it's gonna get released one way or the other. So we're talking about stopping that volcano. You're better off letting it out the top, or or, or, or trying to stop a wildfire. You're better off trying to guide it to where you want it to go rather than standing in the path of it and getting annihilated. And I, from my own experience, 20 years in the fire service, and I've seen guys go through the ringers with divorces, with custody uh, battles, things of that nature. And then on top of the PTSD, the long-term accumulative effect of sleepless nights and the human trauma that we witness. And all of a sudden, guys start to drink more. And all of a sudden, you'll see a guy, I hear a guy, a guy gets a DUI. And then he gets another DUI. And when you see these red flags, and then before you know it, well, it, it, it doesn't turn out well. More times than not, it ends up in 
you know, then then the, the marriage that was struggling as it was, alcoholism and DUIs aren't going to help. That turns into divorce. Then the alcoholism and DUIs turn into depression. Um, and now all of a sudden you've got a snake eating its tail. The, the, the circle is getting tighter. The spiral is getting deeper and faster. The wife now, let's say, is getting filing for divorce is saying she's getting much more distant because of your behavior and things are starting to go downward. That, that, that snowball is getting bigger and bigger as it rolls downhill faster and faster until then it turns into drug addiction or ultimately suicide, which I've witnessed five gentlemen in my career, five firefighters that have committed suicide, taken their own lives. And every single one of them, there was, in retrospect, we looked at the, at the signals. He started having problems at work. He was burning lots of sick time. Uh, he got into a fight somewhere. Like, really? That guy doesn't ordinarily get to a fight. So he got in a fight at a football game. He got drunk. And you would think, oh, if someone goes to a football game, gets in a fight, no big deal. But you start looking at that in the grander context, then he gets a DUI. Then he misses another day of work. And then all of a sudden, the divorce comes before you know it. And that's why I've had five five people, not, not super close friends of mine, but at least acquaintances that I know that have committed suicide, which is the ultimate act of 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 collapse, of implosion. I, um, yeah, so I, you need I to love... have that outlet to start. You need to have that outlet. you got to direct it. It's, it's frustrated or it's crazy. Your mind's going nuts. You're pissed off. You're frustrated. What, you want to lift weights. You want to ride motorcycles. You want to play guitar. I don't care if you want to stand on top of a hill and scream at the heavens for, a, for an hour or two. You've got to get it out of your heart and your soul, man. You've got to release. I love that term you said there, Luke, uh, like a snake eating its tail. And it's so true. It's insidious. You know, the the one bad thing can lead to another that leads to the drinking, that leads to the DUI, that leads to the divorce, that leads to more drinking. To Like you say, that, uh, I, it's so... Like I think this is this is probably a big issue across the board, across you know, across marriage. It's why there's so much divorce, you know, across the across the whole game. It's um, you know, guys need to have this outlet to remove, like to get rid of this energy that's inside of us, and we all have it just in different levels. Um, but if we can't recognise it, um, we do end up becoming the snake that eats its tail. Right, and it's it's. It becomes a, it starts to gain momentum somehow. Mm. And whatever you need to do to stop that momentum, whatever you need to do, you need to stop, course correct, reverse action. And and I'll tell anybody listening to this, it's not going to be easy. If you feel these thoughts creeping into your mind, that's the beginning of it. That's the beginning of it. If you say, you know what, I'm going to come home and instead of dealing with my wife and kids, I'm going to pour myself a freaking fat glass of vodka. And you know what? It starts off as just a splash, and a month and a half later, you know, it's a full rocks glass, and, and the splash is just a little bit of lemonade, and you're yeah. drinking a big glass of vodka, and you're like, well, everyone has a drink when they come home, and then you use some sort of term like, oh, I just have a couple of drinks when I get home to take the edge off, you know? No, you have those couple glasses of vodka because you're just trying to, you're just trying to numb the pain or, or, or avoid, it's just easier to talk to people when you get, when you're a little drunk and you're like, now you're trying to communicate with your wife and kids when you're drunk. Um, so, you know, the human body, the human mind, the human heart, the human soul, you know, I tell people that the, 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 the soul is infinite. 
the soul is not quantifiable. You give me a car, I can tell you it's got 700 horsepower, 400 horsepower. Um, you know, you can give me a, a, a car, I can tell you how many RPMs it runs. Or you can give me a bank account, I can tell you how much money's in there. But the sure. power of your soul is not quantifiable in any, in any means, which means it's an unlimited source of power. So the, at my times of, that I, that I, you know, I dabbled with drugs in, in when I was in my 20s, heck, I did, I did, I did a lot of drugs. We're about three, three to five years straight. I was just doing drugs. My friends were all doing drugs, but they were, I had some times there. I had some real problems, but I always thought to myself that the, however deep I am, there's always another level of power in your soul. Because no one can ever tell you that it's not there. You just need to drill through it to find it. And that will ultimately, you know, you'll find that bedrock at the bottom if you drill deep enough. And you get to the bottom of that soul. And you know what? Then you start taking those cinder blocks. You start building the foundation from there. And then you'll rise up again and and, and you'll raise back up. So if there's anybody listening to this that, 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 you know, struggles with alcohol or, or, Hides from their from dealing with their family by coming home and smoking a fad joint, you know. Or if anybody is is depressed or or considering, I just remember that there is limits to the bottom of your soul to the level of power and strength that resides inside your soul is limitless. God gave it to you, and and only He can take it away. And you have access to that if you just focus on it. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great message, um, Luke, because. You know, a lot of a lot of guys do suffer from it. Um, a lot, you know, as far as depression goes, as far as challenging that kind of that, you know, challenging themselves as the as you said, the, the snake eating its tail. It's uh, I think a lot of guys come up against that. You know, getting the energy out is a big one, and yeah, definitely just knowing that, you know, no matter how low you go, you can fight always fight back from it. You can always fight back. There is always someone in a worse position than you and you can always come back from adversity it's you know i think you've got a a great attitude towards life luke you know just in in all that you're doing and just all that you've we, you know, we've discussed here today it's been awesome um I, I i will wrap this up shortly uh, i don't want to hold i know we've been going for a little while and i don't want to hold too much of your time but um yeah, before we go, um, is there sort of one or two things that you could pass on to the guys that you think uh, kind of your tips for tips for life, really? Because we haven't had a big discussion around the kids today, but I think it's been a great discussion around um, life and just dealing with challenges and you know, dealing with our emotions and overcoming you know the the struggles that that a lot of us face. Um, and these relate to you know they relate to the kids, they relate to everyone across the board. So. Is there any one or two things there that you um, can pass on? Well, I would say the first thing, one of the things that I've learned is the concept of patience and the, the concept of, of, of bringing calm to yourself and the concept of saying, like you said, you said there is a letting go that needs to happen. And mm-hmm. if you're type A, if you're aggressive, if you're motivated, you don't want to let go. <laughs> You want to hold on tight and you want to, you, you want to bend life to your will. And perhaps there's a learning curve. Certainly I, I'm still in that learning curve. I'm by no means a, a, a great husband. I'm a good husband. I'm a good father. I, I, I would say I'm not a great husband. I'm not a great father. I, I'm, I'm doing my best. But there's a patience and a calm 
that you need to find and access because getting worked up doesn't do you any good. Getting mad doesn't do you any good. Yelling ends the communication process. And and I'm by no means an a, a pro at this, but I do know that when I calm down, I settle my mind, I settle those feelings. You, if you just look into your heart and you look into your chest and you just get a sense of the feeling that resides there, you're going to pass that on to your kids if you're a bundle of nerves. You're going to pass that. Your kids are going to feel that. There's an aura that people give off, and it's palpable. And call it karma. Call it whatever whatever it is that whatever it is that you have. But, but you know when people are upset. Eighty percent of communication is nonverbal. Find that calm. Take a deep breath. Realize that you have an opportunity to be a positive impact on, on, on your about what, what we're talking about here today is being a stepdad, and all these things that I'm talking about are are to inspire my son, my stepson, my sons, and 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 have patience. And if your plans get a monkey wrench thrown into them like they did with me, then take a step back. Panicking is not going to do anybody any good. Reevaluate, reformulate a new plan, start moving forward, build a new foundation. I think, yeah, I think they're wise words. You know, like you come from a, like a background of leadership. And as you said early on in this call, you know, there's only one way to to really pass on knowledge, and that's by leading the way, you know, being the example. And I think, you know, I'm sure in your family, your kids see that for sure. Um, you, you've got an amazing attitude towards life, and you know, you're obviously a, a solid leader you know, within your community. So, mate, I really, I take my hat off to you. Um, and, I, I, again, thank you for the service to the fire fighting department. Um, that is a, a job that I wouldn't, I personally couldn't, don't think I could do. I think it's a, it's one of those jobs that only certain people are put on this earth to do, and it's an amazing, amazing service. Um Luke, thanks so much for being on the call today and uh, mate, I will make sure that as many stepdads as possible hear this, this conversation because it's been a great one. Thanks again. James, uh, I just want to thank you so much for inviting me. Let me. It's actually been very cathartic for me to say these things out loud. <laughs> There's a lot of these things I'm saying to you. I just say them to myself in my own brain. And uh, sure. it feels good to say them to somebody else and, and, and to get that all out because we're not alone, man. I'm sure there's some guy out there who's, who's who I, at least some of the things I said nailed a couple nails on the head for somebody. And, and just always know, whoever's listening to this, that whatever you're going through, you are not alone. There's somebody out there with you. And, and if that guy's not going to give up, then you can't either. That's exactly right, Luke. I'll leave it right there, mate. There are wise words to finish up on. Thanks again. Would you like to learn more about how stepdads across the globe are joining forces in raising the next generation of leaders? Then head to www.stepdadsuccess.com and grab all the show notes plus a copy of the brand new tactical guide for creating more happiness, health, wealth and wisdom as a stepdad. And if you liked the podcast, please share it with other stepdads you know and leave us a review on iTunes. Again, that's www.stepdadsuccess.com for all the show notes and tactical guide.
Come and join the new breed of stepdads, the growing group of leaders raising leaders. 